It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Right on, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Episode 28 before the Bears-Falcons game Sunday in Atlanta. I'm David Haw from 670 The Score, the Mullen Haw Show, every morning, 530 to 10. Dan Wiederer from the Chicago Tribune, covering the Bears for a decade. He's at Hallis Hall. Good afternoon, Dan. We are ready or not for Bears-Falcons, the game everyone has been waiting for. Look, while this matchup may not be sexy and, and the most intriguing game on the slate for the NFL this week, there's a lot going on here with the Bears, and there's a lot of interesting storylines kind of uh, happening at once here. And so uh, it's a fun week, right? Like we're, we're in, a, in the middle of a 3-7 and seven season, and you don't always get weeks that have juice to them for different reasons. And I feel like there's four or five reasons within this uh, week and this game that, that allow us to, to have a little more intrigue than we otherwise might for, uh, you know, a couple of teams that aren't going anywhere. Most of them revolve around Justin Fields. His emergence remains a league-wide national story, not just in Chicago, but certainly celebrated and discussed around the league. He was mentioned as a potential MVP candidate this week by Dan Orlovsky. Now, while we both, I think, snicker, smirk, smirk, <laughs> and think that's exaggeration, it does speak to how much the Bears are – uh, becoming more relevant, oddly enough, after a three and seven start, and it's because of the quarterback. Also, the backdrop of the ex bear factor on the yeah. Falcons roster and in their front office and on their coaching staff. There's a lot of fun reasons to pay attention Sunday in Georgia. No question. And we'll get into this later in the program, but the number of, of Falcons players, coaches, executives that have spent time inside this building here at Hell's Hall is, is astronomical, really, by league standards. And so it'll be fun to, to get into that a little bit later in the podcast. Justin Fields, as you mentioned, a, uh, a Falcons fan. As a child growing up in, in Georgia, uh, we tried to get a little more detail from him on that earlier in the week. He was uh, pretty quick into the point, basically just said Julio Jones was his favorite player. He liked the Falcons. His dad had season tickets, and and that was about all we got uh, from his Falcons fandom. But it'll be fun for him to get back home and, and play in that new building there. Uh, the Bears, if you remember, their last trip in uh, to Atlanta was during the COVID year. Nick Foles to Anthony Miller. Remember what we thought that 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 touchdown signified at the time? <laughs> Didn't he throw to a letter in the end zone or something? Run to the like L. That? Run yeah, to the run L. To the L. Run to the L. L. It's the day that Nick Foles replaced Mitch Trubisky in game and led a crazy comeback, David, down there in Atlanta. Which at the time it was like, oh my God, their 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 uh, security blanket, you know, their Plan B 
it's working. Nick Foles is going to lead this team, and then we all know where that went. But it's interesting. Like a moment. Yeah. Interesting revisitation. We didn't have a single staffer there. Uh, that's back during the COVID year where there was no advantage to traveling to road games. And so it's really weird to, to, to think about that. So I'm eager uh, for many reasons to get inside this stadium down there because I'm taking notes as we go to all these newer stadiums so I can uh, put some stuff in the suggestion box for the McCaskies as they build the, the Mecca and Arlington Heights in the near, years to come. Well, let's get started here with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. All right, so I think that we can refer to it as Justin Fields' fever. There's been a race <laughs> to try to find him a nickname. Franchise Fields is as good as any bus. Uh, I think Boomer Esiason tr- called him the bullet train. There are a lot of possibilities. <laughs> but it is a chance for him to play against a team he grew up rooting for in Georgia as a young boy. Now he's a grown man, and he is a threat to be reckoned with, and he – makes this game as interesting uh, as any player who will be on the field. Dan, this has been a week of continued hype, as we alluded to. Kind of interesting to consider a lot of things when it comes to Justin Fields this week. No question, right? I mean, there is. There's a lot of layers to the Justin Fields storyline this week. The the storyline for Justin himself is, all right, how can I continue to build on the momentum that I've shown and hopefully uh, eventually here break through with a victory that sort of puts some punctuation on some of this growth. Uh, But look, like we're going to walk into a building where the man who drafted Justin Fields is going to be an observer, right? And and Ryan Pace uh, was so convicted in his second big swing at drafting a quarterback in Justin Fields that he jumped up 10 slots and was confident that that he had landed the quarterback that was going to change the Bears' future. Now, in Pace's eyes, David, he thought that was going to change the Bears' future for him, right? Like that they were going to be able to to watch this thing unfold and and carry into the future, and they're going to be able to oversee his development. We all know the reasons that that didn't happen, and we can get into more depth on those because I think they're relevant to the the place that the Bears are now and the place the Bears maybe could have been. Uh, But I can't even imagine the conflicting emotions that have to be inside Ryan Pace's head and inside his gut as he's watching this player that he believes so strongly in tear up the NFL for the team that he was fired by uh, just, you know, 10 short months ago. Well, tell me this is wrong. If While we play the hypothetical game, tell me this is wrong that if Ryan Pace, who was convicted enough about what he saw in Justin Fields to trade up to get him, to draft him, had he drafted Justin Fields where he did and then delivered an edict to and a mandate to Matt Nagy, who was his coach at the time, you will play Justin Fields from day one, he will enter mini camp. He will enter training camp. He will enter week one as your starter because this is where we go- are going, and this is the this is who we're latching our jobs to, our careers to, and we're going to go as far as he takes us. What do you think might have been different? Well, but he, here's my issue from the, the, the starting point of that hypothetical is you have to go higher up the food chain on this because you have to remember what led the Bears to draft Justin Fields. And it's that they came out of the 2020 season in this weird, weird state of limbo, right? Like they, they, they had stolen this, this seventh-seeded playoff berth that tricked some folks inside the building here at House Hall into believing that everything was just fine and that they were still a championship-contending team that just needed to get their, their, their footing 
and, and run into 2021 and, and make another run at the playoffs. And so what happens is you have this situation where you remember the infamous press conference coming out of the 220, 2020 season with George McCaskey and Ted Phillips basically telling you everything's all right and everything that you saw in 2020 that worried you was no problem. And just don't worry about it because we've got faith in the collaboration of Ryan and Matt. And, and Matt and Ryan are, are great working together and they're going to lead this, this organization back to stardom at the same time, they didn't give them that vote of confidence in terms of job security, right? And so Ryan Pace can't make that edict to Matt Nagy, do this or else, because both men waltzed into that draft believing that they had to be a a, a competitive winning football team in 2021 to save their jobs. And so weeks before they draft Justin Fields, they sign Andy Dalton. And the plan was Andy Dalton can be functional enough and experienced enough and veteran enough to give us a chance to be in the playoff race, right? If we start a rookie who's obviously going to uh, show flashes of brilliance, but also have have difficulty consistently winning games as a rookie goes through the, 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 the growing pains of being a rookie quarterback in the National Football League, you are setting yourself up, right? If you, it, it, I know there's this revisionist history, right? Like that Matt Nagy should have started Justin Fields from day one. Well, guess what happens they go five and 12 and he gets fired right and so his options were go five and 12 with a rookie and and get fired or try to start a veteran that you believe in and try to get to nine or ten wins and save your job and then start the justin fields experience but that david is, is why i think this conversation is so fascinating because it's all about where your timelines are at and why can't the bears ever get their timelines matched up so that this stuff works in a fluid manner Okay, so what's a better hypothetical? You've been talking to people. You've been considering what this may or may not have been uh, like with Justin Fields and Ryan Pace. And Pace's presence there, I think, is a more obvious uh, trigger for the imagination than, say, Phil Emery, who was also on the staff in the front office. That seemed like a very long time ago. Ryan Pace (laughs) so long ago, just last year. So what to you is a more feasible, if you will, hypothetical to consider? Yeah, I mean, I think the hypothetical is what if George and Ted had, you know, supported their support of Ryan and Matt in that in that post 2020 press conference by saying they have vowed to us that they're going to get the quarterback position right, which they said they would. And because we believe in them to get the quarterback position right, we are going to give them time to see the development of said quarterback through. Now, you can argue that it wouldn't have been the right thing to do to entrust Justin Fields' development to Matt Nagy, given everything that we experienced in in his four-year run as coach but you also have to ask yourself what would that have looked like right like what would that have possibly done for the bears if they had been able to uh acknowledge that the rebuild had to start a year earlier right and so then you could have started justin's development basically a year earlier i know he got 10 starts as a rookie but we all know how disjointed and how sloppy that was after a training camp where he was you know not featured. He was not going to be the starter. There was no reason to put him in that role. Well, now you've delayed the experiences that he needed to gain to kind of hit the runway that he's on now. And now what you've done by delaying that is you've 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 wasted a year of his rookie contract, right? And so that's what folks around the league who look at this from a, a neutral objective uh, viewpoint see is they say, man, like... It, 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 
in the not too distant future, you're going to have to guarantee Justin Fields like $280 million, right? To, to, to continue to be your quarterback. And so you have to know what the window looks like to do other things with your roster and able to be competitive. And so you, you, I, I, I think you can feel the, the tug of war there and the push and pull of that that makes this very complicated because the Bears now are in a situation where people are loving the explosions that Justin Fields is providing every Sunday, but yet they're content with the idea that this team is three and seven and has almost none of their roster solidified for the future that supposedly is going to be so bright with Justin as the leader. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think a lot of people are, are looking at, we'll, we'll see Ryan Pace and they get triggered still by Matt Nagy and <laughs> um, you know, the, what he, the damage he may have done to Justin Fields, Dan Bernstein went on a pretty strong rant the other day or right. just because the mere presence I'll tell you this, and I know this is this is maybe not just to be a contrarian, but I um, I look at Justin Fields and what we have seen in terms of this past month, especially, and I and I really did think this coming out of the draft. I don't know as much as I can acknowledge that the way they handled Justin Fields wasn't the way that you develop a a first round draft choice at quarterback, a guy who's now your franchise guy, I, and I think that he didn't show the pliability in terms of the, the, the schematic approach that Luke Getty certainly has. I don't think that Justin Fields, I, I think he still could have been a very good quarterback if Matt Nagy would have stayed. I think eventually we would have seen this talent surface. Somehow, some way, it was inevitable. I think the inevitability of Justin Fields makes me feel like that he would have succeeded regardless of the coach. And when I call him scheme-proof, in terms of, you know, from a defensive standpoint, coming, uh, trying to prepare for him. I also think that might apply to offensively. Now, certainly this scheme has brought out his talents because they've leaned into them more. Nice. Yes. I, I'm not fully convinced that eventually that wouldn't have happened anyway. No, in shape or form. And that's why it gets fascinating, right? Because, you know, listen, I had a discussion with someone that I, I won't name on the podcast, but it, it, it's somebody that is uh, one of the few people in Chicago that would probably uh, register as a Nagy apologist, I guess, at some point, or at least a, a pro Nagy supporter, right? And his argument earlier this week was, can you imagine what it would have been like during the Mitch Trubisky era if you replaced Mitch Trubisky, right? Like during his run under Matt Nagy with Justin Fields. And now all of a sudden you have a quarterback who – once a half turns something small into something big, whether it's an off script play or just like, like last week, the, the 67 yard touchdown run, the bears weren't trying to get 67 yards out of that play, right? Like they were trying to get a first down with a run around the edge and, and Justin used his gifts and turned it into a 67 yard touchdown. And now Luke gets, looks like a genius. And so, so the, the argument was, can you imagine if Matt Nagy had that as at his disposal and the bears were scoring 27 points on a regular basis, just because the quarterback was capable of getting you, you know, 10 to 14, 14 points a game just based on purely on his gifts. And it's a fascinating uh, thought to entertain because then it leads you down the, the path of this. And I'll, I'll throw this at you. Can you imagine if the 2018 Chicago Bears had second year Justin Fields as their quarterback instead of second year Mitch Trubisky? Can you imagine? Well, I, I do think that it would make the ceiling higher. I do want to be respectful of the fact that that was kind of before Mitch began to slide. That was when Chicago no all embraced and loved Mitch because he was, and I know everything is relative, but he was a Pro Bowl alternate that year. So he wasn't, he wasn't like ditch Mitch. No <laughs> doubt. So, but I do, I, I will allow you this, that possibility, that fun hypothetical 
makes you wonder how good they could have been because of yes. the explosive nature that they didn't have. Trubisky in that in that season was more maybe game manager than he was gate attraction, right? And I think that's the big part with that defense, right? Allen Robinson with Justin Fields. We're talking about a Super Bowl contender. That defense that le- that had 50 sacks and led the league in takeaways. Now you pair that up with a quarterback who, at any given moment, could erupt for a 60-yard touchdown run or a 50-yard touchdown pass, and you say, "Oh my God!" Right? Like, and then and then you're then you're in Chicago Bears dreamland, which is is a place that that we don't visit often, but it's it's intriguing to visit in a week like this because of all the things we're talking about. And I also just it, it, you know it just leads me back to the idea. Um, Somebody in the league brought this up to me this week, and and it's it's just kind of a okay maybe right like the Bears took a championship defense and they missed their window with it right we we can we, we can firmly argue that 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 2018 defense and and what they were going into 2019 they missed their window now if you if you are the the biggest fearful Bears fan on earth, you have to fear that they're going to miss their window with Justin because he's going to be supported by, uh, you know, not enough talent, not enough defense, not enough support for this to reach the heights that the ultimate goal is, right? And that's to, to add another Lombardi trophy to this building or at least add a couple championship banners, division, whatever else it may be, conference, you know, you know how it works here. But like they're, 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 that, that, that timing misalignment, Circles back. You mentioned the rant that Dan Bernstein went on on the score. And my argument, my countering him to that is you're not going high enough on the food chain because of the reasons we talked about just a few minutes ago, that Matt Nagy was kind of forced into a corner to try to do something to save himself that didn't put Justin Fields development and the long term future of this organization in the right priority order right and so here we are right and, and and now we're trying to figure out how how the bears can maximize this surge this one month surge that justin has been on to make sure that it that it reaches its full potential because man the last month has shown you that some amazing things are possible it's it's fun to consider and i think you've tapped into george mccaskey's imagination because that is his dream scenario he's the only guy that you look at or the most influential guy who was here then and is still here now and he can remember what it was like in 2018 when you had the defense that was championship caliber. You had an offense that was, frankly, serviceable enough to go further than the first gate round of the playoffs. And if you add a component to that that is an exclusive, explosive quarterback, that's what you want. And that's what you haven't had. And I think that if you put both of those things together at the same time, that's the challenge in front of Ryan Poles. When you do that, then you've got – then you've got a championship caliber football team. Whether it's Sunday or whether it's up the road, I would really love to pick Ryan Pace's brain a little bit on this, uh, on all the things that we've talked about and and just see like from afar how he's kind of processing this all because it has to be very strange and, and, and very awkward for him to realize that someone else is 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 getting all the profits of, of the plan he put in place in the 2021 offseason. Last question before we move on. Knowing Pace the way you do, I got to know him too. I covered you know him since he got here in 2015 you were here for every step along the way yeah i felt like there were a couple times during his seven years that he could have been fired and actually called for it do you feel like he left with any tinge of bitterness do you think that he felt like he got a fair shot because i certainly do 
Yeah, I, I don't think there's much bitterness. I think probably human nature says there's going to be a little bit, right? You, you just feel unfinished business and you know that, that you were on the verge of something really special when you came out of 2018 and then it just all backpedaled and derailed. But I think Ryan understands that. Look, like he got a chance to to have two coaches. He got a chance to swing twice at quarterbacks. He had seven years, right? Like it wasn't like he lacks time or freedom, right? Like they let him do just about anything he wanted, which in some cases was bad. It's what led to them, him drafting Mitch Trubisky in, 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 a, in a very unorthodox fashion with the way that the draft process went that year. But he also put up this beautiful uh, expansion here at Hellas Hall because he had a vision and they said, go for it. Right. And so I don't think that there's a, a much bitterness as much as maybe it's, it's just a man what might have been feeling that will always be there. And I hope he gets another chance. Executives don't always get that second bite the way coaches do. I don't know that he will, but it would be nice if he did. He has always been a good guy to deal with. No doubt. He's he's likable from a personal standpoint. Professionally, though, his time was done and they had to move. Hey, everyone. This is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. When they did. All right, Dan, let's move on to Inside House Hall. So you are there. You had a very interesting week covering the Bears. Big story in Chicago this week was the fate of Jalen Johnson, both on and off the field. On the field, dealing with the oblique injury, was not on the injury report. It did compromise him on Sunday. He gave up the 44-yard reception to Tom Kennedy, Bryant College's uh, pride and joy. <laughs> um, and then – it was Troy Kennedy, wasn't it? Tim Kennedy? Uh, was Teddy it Tom Kennedy? Kennedy? No. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you. Got me confused here. I got. The, I, I know everything about the guy. He's a professional lacrosse player. I did my research. Yeah. Um, and then he, Jalen Johnson, that is, didn't speak to the media. Then he went on his radio show on the score at 5 o'clock on Monday. And then he spoke to the media the next day. And he did almost contradict, not contradict, but he pushed back a little bit and said that, it did affect him from the first play, yeah. which I think was an interesting you know, subtext to this. So you talked to Jalen Johnson on Thursday at Hallis Hall. Where do you want to go with this? Because I think it raises a couple interesting issues about injuries, playing through pain, and also just the public responsibility of professional athletes. We can we can go all those directions because I think this is the perfect forum to have this this discussion because we've got you know, we got inside information, we've got context, we can put things into perspective for people to get a better understanding of things. This is you know this wasn't originally on our menu to talk about, but I think it was a, a necessity for us because we can have this conversation at a level that that's enlightening for our audience. And so it's almost an obligation that we do so. Um, let's start, I guess, with the injury 
Liberty. Uh, and then we'll move on to the, just kind of the, the media back and forth, which I think is a fascinating discussion, you know, and, it, and it'll be interesting to have that. But I do think that Justin deserves, I'm sorry, Jalen deserves credit for gutting it out on Sunday, right? And, and, and telling the coaching staff he could play. And then even afterwards, uh, in acknowledging that he didn't play his best game, saying, I still feel like I did some things that helped us, right? And, and, and maybe there were some moments that I should have helped us more, but I'm always going to err on the side of, I'm going to put all my all I have out there and hopefully it, it can be beneficial. Uh, obviously, we know that it was appreciated by the coaching staff, even if Matt Eberflus was a little clumsy early in the week in, in expressing uh, the appreciation for, for Jalen gutting it out. Um, but he's also not in the injury report this week. Right. And so that's that tells you that that they expect him to be at 100 percent full strength. And it's very odd to have a guy that dealt with as much as he dealt with coming out of the Dolphins game, going into the, the Lions game. And now suddenly he's he's not on the injury report and he's full clear for Atlanta. So it'll be interesting to, to, to track his play Sunday because it'll 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 point us in a direction that we want to go. Well, the injury report he was not on did not really consider the fact that he when he spoke, he talked like somebody who was clearly injured. And yeah. if he, he ended the game playing 52 of 62 snaps. He missed those 10 snaps because of the oblique. Yep. Anybody that's familiar with covering oblique injuries or having one themselves knows it doesn't just re- get better in 48 hours. So I think this bears monitoring moving forward. I was, again, as I think I pointed out in a, in a previous pod, Matt Eberflew said that if the player's on the field, the expectation is that he's going to be able to perform maybe not up to 100%, but I think that the expectations don't change. Jalen, by acknowledging that he wasn't able to do that, I, I wonder I wonder what that, if it's, if it's an issue at all, Dan, moving forward, because he's a veteran. He's one of the best defensive players. This is not, I think, something that you want to become or, or bubble into something bigger than it should be if you're Matt Eberflus. I certainly think if you're Jalen Johnson, you want to be respected to the yeah. point where – if you're hurt, you want that to be considered. You'd like to have your coach have your back publicly. Right. And, and, and look, like what, what was fascinating, David, was there were two guys that popped up on the injury report a week ago Thursday. One of them played, Jalen Johnson. The other one didn't, Tevin Jenkins, right? And it's like, well, wait a second, coach. If, I, if I'm going out there and I'm gotten through my injury and I'm still going to get called out, you know, for not making the plays that you expect me to make, you know, would you prefer me to sit? Right. Like and then we were going to get into this on the radio the other day and then my uh, my my feed cut out. But, you know, like like Jalen making that decision is it, it, it's a it's a leadership move. Right. And you, you're just hopeful that this organization doesn't kind of push you in a direction, especially for three and seven team, right? You know, as well as I do that, this is where business decisions come into play, right? Where guys say, well, what am I laying it all on the line for? Why am I battling through this oblique injury, this hip injury, this calf problem when we're three and seven and, and nobody seem, nobody here seems to care about what the results of the games are like, what, what's, what's the point of it. And so if you're going to build a championship culture, you, you need to make sure that, that you, you know, you approve and you appreciate guys that are gutting it out for you at times when they could, easily put up the yellow light or the red light and say, coach, I don't think I can do it today. And coming off the heels of the Roquan Smith situation, I do think that moving forward, you identify Jalen Johnson as one of the kind of core players you would like to extend and build around. The, the Bears certainly have the money to do that in the offseason if they want to get ahead of the game. I will, I will be fascinated to where this goes and wonder if these kinds of things, which tend to be they got in the way with Roquan Smith, I, I contend that that trade was made as much for personal reasons as they were for football reasons. The personal reasons interfered, and I don't want it to get to that case or that point with Jalen Johnson because 
of uh, he, he's a winning player and you want to retain guys like that. And so I don't think it will get to that point, Dan, but these are little hints along the way you want to, you can't ignore. No, you got to keep, you got to keep tabs on it. Just as you have to keep tabs on Jalen's ability to, to meet his professional responsibilities. Right. Okay. And I know you had yeah. a lot to, yeah, I know you had a lot to talk about. I'll give you a little bit of a, a context just for, for those who don't really understand post game of a, of an NFL game, right? Like, so there's a lot going on at once. Like both locker rooms of players are open at the same time. There's two separate, places to go talk to one team versus the other team that you know the bears locker room at soldier field is you know 200 yards away from where the the press conferences are held which usually is maddie berflus and and justin fields or the head coach and the starting quarterback and so there's a lot going on at once and so the maddie berflus press conference had already started there was half the media core was down there right like tending to that business and jalen johnson was was still getting dressed and, and cleaned up after the game and and through a spokesman had told uh, folks that he wasn't going to talk after the game on Sunday because he just wasn't feeling up to it. His promise was, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll do so on Monday, right? Like, just get me on Monday. Well, so, okay, you know, for a player like Jalen, who's been really good with the media for the entirety of his three years here, you say, okay, no problem. No problem. Just get us tomorrow, right? Like, come Monday to the podium. Well, then Monday, we thought we were going to be talking to Jalen Johnson at the podium, and then all of a sudden, Jack Sanborn popped up out of the jack-in-the-box here that is is Hallis Hall. And to add to that, because I know you have thoughts on this, two hours later, Jalen does his first media availability with the score with with uh i guess it was matt spiegel and anthony heron uh, on monday evening and so now all of a sudden you have a, a little bit i wouldn't call it a controversy but it's just a, it's just a, a storyline right i guess i would you call it a, a something in between a storyline or a controversy well everything with the bears is, is a potential storyline and i think everything gets a little magnified but certainly it was a it was a decision that you had to look at because of what he said once on the radio when he 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 didn't uh, previously shed light on what happened to him injury-wise, what it went into the decision for him not to play those 10 plays or to go back onto the field when he did, what happened on the 44-yard pass. Oh, by the way, that penalty that he was called for that that changed the game and negated a, an interception, what happened there? And what was it about that Lions coach that was lobbying the referee that was newsworthy? So – I do think it's relevant because of those things I just mentioned. My question would be, let's start with, as a beat writer, somebody who covers uh, the Bears, your job is for the Chicago Tribune. How did it make you feel that he waited until 5 o'clock on Monday to address those important newsworthy things? Well, look, it's, it, it, it's case by case, right? And, and and as a player, you build up equity by you know, how, how, how you are on a regular basis, right? And Jalen has built up that equity, right? I'll, I'll just give you a little perspective on this. When 2020 rolled around and there was no availability inside buildings in the NFL, everything was done over Zoom, right? And so for us, when you're, when you're covering an NFL beat from your home office, right, which was the most uncomfortable experience ever, you have to have guys on the other end of those Zoom calls that are engaged. Jalen Johnson's a rookie in 2020. And every Tuesday, he was the guy that was showing up on the Zoom call, right? Like, and it got to the point where Colleen Kane and I, my colleague at the Tribune, said, you know, Jalen has been so good that we want the Bears to not bring him every Tuesday because we don't want want them to, to burn him out because he's so engaged and he's so honest and he's so uh, okay with the back and forth of the process, right? So he builds up that equity. 2021, Jalen was my personal vote for the Jeff Dickerson Good Guy Award uh, because I thought he was that good in terms of being available, being honest, being, uh, you know, capable of, of doing the back and forth in, in a process. So I, I, I bring that up because there is equity. So if a guy 
one time after a game says, man, not today. Like, I just, like, I just don't want to say something I'm going to regret. Uh, you know, it, it's just, I'm, I'm just not there today. You give, you give certain guys a, a pass, right? I'll give you an example. 20, 2019 in Philly, Bears had an awful loss against the Eagles. It was in the middle of that 2019 season going down the drain. And I remember going up to Eddie Jackson in the locker room and saying, Eddie, you got a minute? And he goes, nah, man. And I said, why not? And Eddie, Eddie blew up on me, lit me up. He said, why not? Because I don't feel like it today because I'm pissed, you know, and, and, and when it is all rains, like I've been good, you know, for four years or three years now, like, just give me this one, give me this one. I said, cool. Like you got this one. I, I appreciate that. Right. Like we, we have enough of a relationship to have that back and forth. Jalen's on that level to me now where, where, where you can give him a pass once it just can't become a trend. Right. And it can't become something that sets a tone for others. I know a lot of people in our audience are going to roll their eyes and say, Oh, you media people think you're so entitled and that's not their job, but there is a, a human element to this whole waltz that we do up here on the beat. That's notable. And it's interesting to track. Well, it's not about entitlement. It's about accountability. And it, it just is part Part of the uh, media role to kind of not to enforce it as much as chronicle it. So these are all interesting examples. We've all had these kinds of experiences. Well, and to your uh, point, like there was a lot of notable things for Jalen on Sunday, right? right. It, he wasn't just right. a bit player. He was he played a leading role in that in that Lions game. And and I think that's why people had the reaction who cover the the beat for a living uh, the way they reacted. And I don't think it probably went over very well among members of the Bears beat. And this is a conversation that I had on the radio. Um, on the Moline Haas show. And then I appeared later on the afternoon show talking yeah. about this. I've been on both sides. I, I've been the beat writer back when I was a beat writer for the bears and have been in those situations from a newspaper's perspective where you weren't able to get what you expected because of some designated media commitment or chosen media outlet. Brian Urlacher is the first most famous example that comes to mind, lived through that, the Fox all those kinds of things. I've also been on the other side of it where I've hosted a radio show where Tom Ricketts, for example, wouldn't, I mean, everybody wanted to hear what he had to say. I forget the example, but there's been several and he would come on the Mully and Haas show because he felt comfortable with the tone of questions, even though they might be negative, he knew that they would be fair. Um, so I got both sides of that. The one thing I think people do need to understand is they roll their eyes and they get, they look at the media talking about this is that, you know, the relationship between, say, the beat writers and the players they cover and radio hosts and the guests that they have, you know, they're subjects to people who you cover. They're mm -hmm. guests to on your radio show. And the relationship, the rapport, if you will, between – correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, if you're on a beat, I always viewed it as you want a rapport, but you're not really developing a friendly relationship. I don't want to be friends with Jalen Johnson or – Brian Urlacher or whoever the case, the, the relationship is transactional. You want a rapport because you're getting information. Whereas when you're a, a radio host and you're having them on the radio, it's more about entertainment than it is information or as much. You have to try to find that balance. Yeah. But you do have a different approach and it might be less threatening to a guy like Jalen Johnson to come on the show, a show that is, is a segment that is all his. The last time he was on that show, the host was wearing a feather boa. So he's not looking at it as he's going to get grilled. I'm just being real. I'm not being critical of anybody. I just know that's the environment that he knew he was going into. And that's why I think it had to have influenced his decision-making process here. And, and I get it. So it's not something that with Jalen Johnson specifically, you're going to hold against him because he has been very good as a professional. 
yeah. been responsible. But and I expect I them to be going opinion. forward too. Yeah, I, I would say this. I don't like the word transactional. It, it it kind of it kind of sits wrong with me because I think there is a a level, and you know this as well as anyone. There's a, there's a level of relationship building that's important, and and stamping it with a transactional label it just feels like cold, right? It, it just doesn't feel like it's a human to human thing. And that that's part of what's here. And one of the things Jalen said on the radio show on Monday, um, I actually sat down with him for just a couple minutes for an aside chat today in the locker room, just to talk about this a little bit, just to understand where he was coming from a little bit. But he said on, on the radio on Monday with, with uh, Spiegel and Aunt Heron that, that look like he wants people to see him as a human. And I said, I said to him today, I said, Jalen, like one of the best ways uh, to create that is, is for us to, you know, to, to be able to, to connect, right? Like, and, and if, if we can't, talk to you in the locker room and we can't talk to you after games and that connection won't be there and then it becomes harder to to have that like oh this is a human being this is a person that, that you know like that that i deal with on a regular basis and and so there's that element to it i jalen also said look like part of his resistance after the game was he felt like he was in a, in a space where he just needed to step back away from the cameras and he said it's not even about, about y'all it's, it's just knowing the the landscape we live in in 2022 that you could say something in the heat of the moment that then gets cherry-picked by someone that wasn't there and then turns into a whole other issue and one of Jalen's strengths for our perspective is that he is very honest and he is a, a real talk guy and he's a guy that, that gives it to you straight uh, and so you don't want to take that away from him right and, and and, and, and so you get it like you, you can have a pass here or there. You can't have a pass regularly. Um, and then like, look, like there's the other point of this, David, is we're in a market here that can be very uncomfortable now that we're back in this climate, right? Like Jalen Johnson's first two years, like I told you, year one, rookie, everything he did with the media was over Zoom. Year two, it was mostly over Zoom, right? We didn't, we weren't, or not over Zoom, but in the in the podium setting, right? Like where you have space. Now that we're back in an open locker room setting, you know what it's like here. 14 cameras will come to your locker. There'll be a swarm. Even Wednesday, when Jalen was talking to the media, he was getting hit in the face by TV microphones. And what he said to me today is like, look, like that does not respect me as anything more than a piece, right? Like in, in what you're trying to get on a daily basis. Like I'm a person, like when your microphones are hitting me in the face, it's off-putting, right? And so it, it makes me less uh, basically wanting to do these kind of things and so it's there's just a lot there's a lot here and i know we've talked about this for probably too long but i will say that jalen's a fascinating guy to have this conversation about because he isn't a guy who's evasive he isn't a guy who's resentful of the back and forth and so so when he finds the need to take a step back it's noteworthy and then you just gotta kind of kind of sift through it and see where it goes and I'll, I'll just say that from my conversation with him today on thursday afternoon here in the locker room i, I don't expect this to be a recurring thing with him and and, and that people are still gonna gonna love who this guy is as a football player and as a leader and a personality on this team good stuff that, that was a discussion worth having and i think it is time to probably move on so dan also at hallis hall on thursday luke getsy spoke about how the approach to this offense with justin fields his emergence and how the next step involves maybe oh i don't know winning a game and the value <laughs> of winning a game and how it does build belief and confidence how would you describe uh, what Getsy said today and what kinds of things stood out to you? Look, I, I, Andrew Dinoco also spoke Thursday afternoon uh, about what the value of 
this offense and this quarterback experiencing a winning moment would be, right? And just the, the kind of confidence snowball that can start from that. We understand where the Bears have gone offensively in the last month and how encouraging and promising it is. There is a piece of this that is that, that requires winning, and it requires winning against teams that you can and should beat in moments that are in your control, right? And so when the Bears fail, as they did on Sunday, to capitalize on a, a, a one-point deficit with the ball and two timeouts and, and you know, <laughs> everything in, in in your control to go win that game and you fail, it's, it's, it's a missed opportunity. Is it something that derails the long-term future of this organization? Nope. I don't think you've ever said that. I don't think I've ever said that. I don't think any of us ever got to the point where we were saying he can't win now. So he isn't going to win ever. Right. We've been accused of that. Right. And, and it's like, well, that's, that's misinterpreting or mishearing everything we're saying. It's just a missed opportunity. And so along those lines, Andrew Janoko said, look, like we need to hit one of these moments to get that experience, to get that success, to get that confidence that grows with it. And as you mentioned, Luke Getz, he also talked about it. And, and I think we have that sound sound quality uh, or that, that sound clip of, of Luke just talking about what it would be like for this team and this quarterback to experience a winning moment when it's there for them. I mean, that's confidence, right? Anytime you have some success, you build confidence. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's important. One, you want to win, right? It, makes, it feels better to win for sure. So that's important. And then the second part is just, yeah, you get you, it gets confidence in everybody, believing in themselves, believing they can do it. And and they know they can. I mean, we've done it, they've, they've done it all year. We Most of the time, we've done a really good job. Like I said, what was Washington? We go all the way down. We, we just don't we just don't punch it in. So we're, we're getting better. We, we're on the right track. And we just got to make sure we execute better and not, not have those mental errors there at the end. Okay, so that was Luke Getze talking about the value of winning. And, and I do think that, yeah, our, uh, our interpretation of how important winning has been somewhat uh, overstated, misrepresented. It's been caricatured for sure. Yeah, it completely has. It, and it's just kind of beside the point because I don't like when people react to the coverage of the coverage, um, <laughs> and and I don't want to get down down that road because I think it's it's kind of uh, irrelevant anyway. But but when you talk about Getsy and you talk about um, just the the overall growth of Justin Fields in this offense, and I think that, that he mentioned confidence, and and it's easy to see the connection between. Justin Fields' confidence level and his execution level. So I don't think that it's a it's a reach to extend that to once they have, you know, a win here or there, it's going to just be even more evidence and proof and the growth will just continue because that is the next step. And let's face it, the passing game is part of that evolution. And when you have 13 yards passing in the fourth quarter, as we have pointed out, yep. that is not that is less than ideal. And that is not the way that you can win close games anywhere, anytime. And that's an offense situation, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just be very clear again. It's an offense situation. That's receivers, it's tight ends, it's offensive line, it's quarterback. We're not, nobody has ever said we're blaming Justin Fields for these last two losses. We're just saying it would be really nice for him to take his offense down the field and win a game, right? Especially when it's there to be won. And so, so that, that, that will come at some point. There will be a game. Every quarterback who starts for a long time in this league experiences it. And then it's does one become two, become three, become 12, right? And can you get that going in that direction? And that's, that's what we're curious to see because ultimately, if your long-range goal is to win championships, you need an offense and a quarterback that can step up to those crunch time moments and hit them, right, and hit them out of the park more often than not. And and so it'll be uh, it'll be really fun to to kind of to see that evolution and see where they go from here. So Justin Fields talked this week about having heavy legs and the physical toll that the season has taken on him. I worry. I guess I, on the radio, I, I mentioned this on the Mullen Haw show. Um, 
the mental toll as well as something you have to keep an eye on. That didn't stop him, the, the physical toll or mental toll, from staying late with Chase Claypool after practice to work on chemistry, to work on timing, because, Dan, we've got to see Chase Claypool more <laughs> than we did uh, against the Lions. I think everybody recognizes that. Everybody realizes that. What did Luke Getze have to say about that? Yeah, and, and we'll, we'll put those words in his mouth here in a second, but I, I just asked him directly. I said, listen, Luke, there's a, a lot of outside curiosity right now about the timeline for Chase's emergence. There's probably a little bit of uh, impatience uh, of people wanting to know, you know, look, we gave up a second round pick to go get this playmaking toy for Justin Fields in this offense to use. When is it going to be kind of turned loose to, to its full degree? And, and, and Luke uh, you know, he handled it really well and, and provided a, a contextual answer that's that's worth listening to. Yeah, so that's that's probably a more difficult question. I think that's. I mean, I mean, if you watch, you're watching us play, right? And you kind of see how the thing kind of flows. And uh, there's a lot of moving parts, and we, we include a lot of people in what we do. And so, uh, I think it's just it's not as simple as like if you're you're watching some teams like um, let's I'll just use my, my past history of like you know in 2014 we lined up in two by two or three by one and you lined up Devontae, Jordy and Randall and Aaron your quarterback and that's it like that was like so if someone popped in that offense it would probably be a little easier because you just plug in place where we just have a lot more moving parts as far as specifically one guy with what the way we're going right now uh, to to isolate maybe is the best word uh so he's he's having to learn a lot and he's i mean he's done a tremendous job i mean to pick up as much as he's done in two weeks is pretty impressive so i think i think the opportunities will just continue to grow i think his role continues to grow and uh we're we're, we're on the right track i feel like with luke getsy talking about chase claypool and, and what to expect uh, sunday against the falcons and moving forward dan i feel like about this the way you feel about Jalen Johnson. It was it was one it was one game. It was one Sunday. I don't feel any differently about Chase Claypool today than I did the day after they traded for him. I think it takes some time yeah. to incorporate and to learn. So I'm not worried about this situation. Listen, we talked about it the day the trade was made, that this is, you know, a, a November trade for a wide receiver. Most wide receivers join their new teams with time in the spring and summer and training camp in the preseason to get their arms around a playbook, to get their under arms around responsibilities, to get timing with a quarterback. Chase Claypool has none of these things, you know, in week 11 of this season. And so it's going to take time and, and, and the immediate dividends aren't going to be seen anyone that was expecting that had unrealistic expectations and so i do appreciate that grounded perspective from getsy we, we do know that there's going to be opportunities in this offense for him to shine and and hopefully uh, there'll be a few moments where where you give him a chance like the, the first game he played right like to go down the field and and, and try to win a 50 50 ball and either draw a pass interference call or draw a pass interference call that's not uh, called <laughs> <laughs> exactly speaking of wide receivers valus jones came up today or thursday at how Hall and special teams coach Richard Hightower talked about Valus Jones getting back into the mix potentially and what he needs to do to do that. With someone like Valus, just in your career when you have a young player that you just want to get kind of over a hurdle, whatever it is, is there any replacement for game reps? Like, I mean, you can maybe see he's gotten to a point in practice, but can you really ever know until he gets that chance in the game to show you that he's figured it out? You know what? That's an outstanding question. And I, I don't really know if you can. I mean, that's what the preseason is really for, for those young guys. But if you guys remember, Valus only played in one preseason game. So what happens when that happens? Not his fault. Like, he should, you know, he, he, he wanted to play. He couldn't play, you know. He wasn't healthy. So what happens? He missed two preseason games. 
And what happens in the season? He has his two preseason games play out during the regular season. And what happens if that happens in the preseason? I don't count them. He'll be all right. But if it happens in the regular season, when the game's on the line, then it then it matters more, right? So that's unfortunate for him, but that's what you saw play out. He never got his two preseason games. And what? As a pro, he needs to make it happen in the regular season. We can't make an excuse for the preseason, right? <laughs> but that's what happened, guys. So it's, it's real easy. Now, when, if he ever gets a chance again, we'll see what happens, right? Because his preseason is over now. <laughs> Dan, I have a lot of respect for Richard Hightower. It sounded a little bit like excuse-making to me. The the phrase at the end there, if he ever gets a chance again, well, man, if there's ever an opportunity to give him a chance again, he's, he's got an opportunity to return kicks with Khalil Herbert on injured reserve Sunday in Atlanta. And, and you just feel from a coaching staff that doesn't take a lot of um, – doesn't offer a lot of public criticism of their guys. Valus Jones over the last three weeks has been a, a, a bit of a subtle dartboard um, for, for coaches basically conveying that they don't trust him, right? Like they don't, they don't, they don't believe he can catch punts. They don't believe they, that he can help them on special teams. Uh, they don't, you know, sense that he's, he's ready from a knowledge standpoint to understand all the formations and the shifts and the alignments and, and, and the route options that are within this offense. And so now he's a healthy scratch for two consecutive weeks. And it's important, David, because this isn't just a, a day two pick. It's the first receiver that you took in the draft, right? In a year where you knew you needed receiver help and the bears opted to go with defensive backs in round two in, in Gordon and Brisker in April and, and, and address their receiving needs later. But when that guy then becomes a total non-factor in the development of your quarterback and your offense, it's problematic because now it leaves you more holes to fill in the 2023 20, offseason that you probably shouldn't have to fill if you were able to do that in this cycle. I agree. That's why this is a seven-game audition for guys who want to leave a mark and make an impression. Bayless Jones, to me, falls in that category. Also, the opportunity for 10 additional touches that were Khalil Herbert's. What do you do with Bayless Jones? Gadget guy could be somebody who benefits from that by getting a couple extra touches, jet sweeps, line up in the backfield, use him the way they do Debo Samuel. I don't care, but I think he's a weapon if he has that kind of speed and you pair that with Justin Fields, there's some dangerous possibilities. But Dan, do I do we attribute all this lost opportunity and, and squandered potential on the fact that he had a hamstring injury in preseason? That's what I heard when I heard the special teams co- coach talking about not having that time to develop him. Yeah, no, I don't attribute it all to it. I think it's certainly a piece of the puzzle, right? And you, and you understand what kind of that experience can do to get a guy going. But there's more going on here in terms of his his mastery of what they want him to do. And then obviously you just have the two high-profile muffed punts and then a, a dropped deep ball in Dallas that that prevent you from, from earning confidence, right? And earning confidence and trust from your quarterback, from your coaches, from your head coaches, your assistant coaches, everyone involved. This is not where you want to be with Valus Jones, even though it's 11 weeks into his rookie season, you can talk all about his maturity and his ability to handle uh, adversity and all those other things. What he needs to be able to do is handle the football (laughs) and be able to help you in those ways. And if he's not, it's just, it's just, it's a, it's again, it's a small subplot, but the more you add up the small subplots to see how far away they are from having a roster that is of championship quality, you say, man, this, you know, again, we go back to our first segment. You don't want this Justin Fields, 
Worlds highlight reel to be accompanied by a bunch of seasons that are like, ah, well, it just didn't it just didn't hit this year. We'll figure it out next year. All right, let's bring in our ace producer, Adam Stadzinski, so we can make our predictions this week. Bears and Falcons, Sunday in Georgia. I think the Falcons are favored by at least three, depending on what time you uh, made the bet and what, what uh, <laughs> where you made it. But um, I think we can safely say the Bears are heading into Georgia. Underdogs, what do you think, studs? Oh, man, this one was tough. Tough. <laughs> I landed on the Bears because I'm basically picking with my heart on this one. And uh, But I just – it's uh, we're at the point where I have trouble predicting the games because – Every game for the last three weeks has been the same game, and the Bears end up on the short end of it because because of the basically the same reasons. I just also think that the Falcons, you watch their games, and they kind of are just almost it, – it's like they're begging you to take the ball away from them at times. And so I, I feel like the Bears are just due to finally get some turnovers and not look terrible on defense, but they probably still will. I got them winning – I got them 27-20, to 20 Bears winning, and – you know, hopefully, I I think the offense is definitely still going to move the ball because the Falcons' defense, especially their secondary, is, is largely terrible. So we could probably get a similar game to the, to the way we did last week. I think the Bears end up on the winning end this time, though. I think you're right about the style of game. I think both teams are going to move the football. The Falcons have some weapons. Kyle Pitts, goodness sakes. And they have Drake London. They have, you know, Mariota can get hot. You just don't know. They can move the ball, and this Bears defense is going to struggle to stop it. I also think the Bears are going to score some points. I think the offense continues against a, a Falcon defense that isn't great. Um, but I, I just don't know. I don't have confidence in the defense to stop anybody or to create takeaways. Jack Sanborn aside, <laughs> the jackhammer, I don't know how it's going to work indoors. But um, I think that Falcons 34, Bears 29. Okay. Ooh. Uh, so fast track down there in Atlanta gives Justin Fields a little bit more chance to show off his speed. I've got Bears 30, Falcons 27. Guys, I think the Falcons are the definition of the 2022 NFL. It's just a team that you watch them at any length and you go, what is this? This is like so mediocre. It's like, it's not entertaining. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just like, this is, this is what 65 to 70% of the league is now. It's just these teams where you go, eh, I, I, you know, I don't know if they're good. I don't know if they stink. They're just kind of there. And now your bears get to play them. And it's, it's just, it's a weird one for me because I, I don't know which direction it's going to go. Every time you want to think that this bears offense is going to propel them to some sort of statement victory, you remind yourself again, like you did, they have no playmakers on defense making plays right now. And it's a problem. They have no pass rush, all these other things that go into it. David, I will tell you, my nine-year-old son is a very frustrated Kyle Pitts fantasy football owner, would take exception with the idea that he's a weapon because the Falcons aren't using him in a way that is making my son happy on Thursdays, Sundays, and Mondays. And so I'll get a firsthand look to give him a scouting report on what's going on there. Nine-year-old fantasy football owner? They're, they're, they they got a fourth grade league over there at the school. Okay. Uh, it's 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 a pretty good one. It's it's been pretty competitive, but it's been pretty entertaining to watch. Uh, my wife is like, my God, all he does is talk to me about fantasy football. I said, buckle on, it's going to be thirty years of this. So next week on the parenting <laughs> pod. Um, all right, let's uh, let's have some fun with a Falcons draft. So, Dan, we know there are a lot of ex-Bears on the Falcons' payroll, and we were reminded of that when we heard Alan Williams, the Bears' defensive coordinator, wax eloquently to, on Thursday about one of them, Cordero Patterson. He's strong. Um, he is, uh, he's fast. Uh, he's physical. Um, he can catch the football, so he has different elements in there. They, 
uh, put him in the backfield and he runs the, you know, you talk about a receiver that has the whole route tree. He's a running back that has the, you know, I'm just making this up, the run tree, <laughs> so to speak, that he runs inside, he runs outside, he runs powers. Um, so he, it's not one thing where you say, hey, when he's in there, he's going to be running perimeter runs. Uh, he runs them all, so you have to defend him like a running back. And then when they put him out wide, you have to defend him like a receiver. Uh, you know what? More than a thick end. He's a, a respectfully uh, alien. Uh, so he can really, he's, there aren't many, uh, he's a planet guy. There aren't many guys like that on the planet that are that big, that fast, that can do all that uh, that he does, does. so respectfully. Um, he's uh, just a, a good football player that, that does it all. That's, there's no question about that, David. And it's been really interesting. So Cordero Patterson was uh, – I was in Minnesota still when Cordero Patterson was drafted by the Vikings in the first round. And he's had this career that's been kind of strange, right, between the Vikings, the Raiders, the Patriots, the Bears, now the Falcons. Everybody's, like, been enamored with the skill set and the tools and the versatility and all the things that he can do. But it really wasn't until last year in Atlanta that it all came for an entire season into this form where you're like, man, this guy isn't just a a potential, uh, you know, annual all pro kick returner. The guy can, can really be a force offensively. The Bears are going to have to deal with it. We know what he did here during his time in Chicago. It was sometimes cool. Uh, mostly special teamsy, but never explosive enough. And now he's found this uh, this new life in Atlanta, and he gives us a, the entry point into this uh, fun little Fal- ex Bears Falcons draft that we're going to rapid fire through here because there's a lot of guys in in Atlanta that, that have spent time here in Alice Hall, as we mentioned. And we'll bring in Adam Stadzinski too because the, the rules are we take one player and one ex player, and you have to have. Uh, you have to alternate in your choice order. So we're going to have a, a X Bears draft of, so, of Falcons. So, so we've got we've got two former executives, Ryan Pace and, and Phil Emery. Five former coaches, which we'll go through as we pick them, and then and then players, ten total players. This includes Eddie Goldman, who is st- he's retired, but he's still on the Falcons reserve retired list for this season. But and, he's st- he's still a guy; he's eligible for this experience. And he's still stopping there. the run as well as some Bears defensive tackles this year, <laughs> and has as many tackles as those guys as well. So Eddie Goldman is in play. Studs, you can have the first overall pick of the X Bears Falcons draft twenty twenty two. Oh, this one's so easy for me. I got to go Nick Kwiatkowski. I love that guy. Oh, my like, gosh. He's, That's such he, a meatball pick. Oh, and, I mean, come on. You know, oh, the guy named Staczynski is going to pick the fellow Steve. <laughs> development okay. here. All right. Well, you I got mean, I was, like, legitimately, I loved him when he was here, mainly you know, because of the, the Polish last name. Thing, but also, you know, he was – he he was a he filled his role pretty perfectly. I actually thought they should have signed him instead of extending Danny Trevathan, and we all of saw how that work out. So yeah, there was there was there was a game here, in, uh, I think it was 2019, where where Nick Williams and Nick Kwiatkowski both made big plays in a Bears victory early in that season, and that's when when uh, Kwiatkowski earned the nickname from Khalil White as or from Khalil Mack as White Nick. It was Black Nick and White Nick, and so <laughs> so Nick Kwiatkowski is still affectionately known here by two nicknames. It's either White Nick or as John Fox used to call him, Kwiatkowski. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. Weederer. Uh, or what did what did uh, what did Chris Chelios call you? Weederer. Weederer. In, in interest of uh, misnaming people, you get the second choice. I mean, I'm taking Patterson, and and we're just going right on to the, the third right. pick because I mean that's that's the no brainer. It's Cordell Patterson. 
because of the future Hall of Fame status. Uh, didn't didn't Alan it? Williams say he would be, have a gold jacket if he played defense? Uh, was he talking about? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Was he I talking know, about Patterson. He was talking about. It was in an answer about Patterson. He compared him to Ronald Curry. If you remember Ronald Curry, you oh, probably yeah, do, the, David. I guarantee you, Studs doesn't rem- remember him. But he came oh. out. He was a basketball and football player at UNC, and then ultimately okay. went on to the Raiders. So you're taking, of course, Cordell Patterson. Okay, I'm going to take a coach. I'm going with my guy, Ball State graduate, former defensive it. back, former Bears secondary coach, John Hoke the secondary coach for the Atlanta Falcons, all-around good guy. John Hoke is my number one overall pick. Go ahead, Adam. Okay. Pick second, and you have to pick You have to pick a coach or an executive. Okay. Well, in that case, I am going to go with uh, – I'm going to go with Ted Manichino. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have a particular reason for that. I just always like – Someone's got to coach your linebacker. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. So, and you know, I always liked, I always liked what I heard from him and I always like the stuff that Grody would bring back from him from house hall and the score was always good. So I, I, I never met the guy. I never spoke to him, but he seemed like, he seemed like a, a, a decent enough coach, I guess. So I'll take, I'll take Ted <laughs> Manichino. All right. That's a good one. All right. Dan, go ahead. What's your number two? Uh, all right, I'll, I'll go from the coaching ranks as well, uh, and I'll take uh, Dave Ragone, who was here uh, as a quarterbacks coach for a long time, stuck around through a couple of regimes, uh, was a, a close tutor to Mitch Trubisky during his time here. But all, and, and you picked him. I mean, has, you still picked him. He's moved he's on to a, a lot of Mitch stink on him. He's moved on to a coordinator role there yeah. in Atlanta. He loves Cordero Patterson. He's got the most out of him. So I can pair Rags with CP and feel really good about that that built-in relationship that's going to lead me somewhere. Okay, I like to build from the ball on out. So I am going with after, because I have to take a player after I took a coach, I'm going the other side of the ball. I'm going with Jermaine Effetti because this is somebody who tried to keep the peace with Tevin Jenkins, tried <laughs> to be a leader. I need leadership in my locker room. I'm taking Jermaine Effetti. Juan so, Castillo used to tell us all the time that, that Jermaine Effetti was headed to the Pro Bowl, and we're still waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> all, all right, right so- so do I need to pick an executive? We only got two executives. Is someone going to get left out? They're going to be in the coaches. You can. You got to pick a player now. You pick the coach. You pick, okay. have to pick a player or non-player and alternate. Okay. Okay. I get it now. All right. Well, I'll, 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 <laughs> I'm going to go with a guy that I honestly have never heard of, but I think it's just a funny pick. My Cole Pruitt. I don't know who that is. Like I've honestly <laughs> never heard of him. I don't. He's know a tight end. Tight end. All right. Well, there's my. I don't know how long he was here. He may. He may have. He may have like two Bears receptions in his career. If we we, we dig in through the the files, there may be two receptions gonna, there. I think he, I also think he's a Saluki. If you're into Southern Illinois football, so there you he go. He was here long enough to be overthrown by Nick Foles. That's about it. <laughs> I visited. All right, Dan, I visited SIU when I was looking at schools. That's that's my extent. <laughs> All right, that's close enough. I'm going next with Demir Bird because Demir Bird, man, remember Christmas uh, weekend last year when Demir Bird, I think it might have been on December 26th, but that that game-winning catch from Nick Foles in Seattle in the back of the end zone, which is one of the best catches uh, ever seen by by a Chicago Bears receiver. Demir Bird is my pick. Mark Grody's favorite all-time player, I think, Demir Bird. He would have every single report from Alice Hall included a nugget about Demir Bird, for goodness sakes. Okay, <laughs> I've got to go non-player. So I am going way back because I had a special bond at one point with Phil Emery, 
and that was dissolved and broken, maybe irreparably. I don't know. <laughs> but I, at one point in time, I really liked Phil Emery. I remember covering him, had a good rapport and relationship. He was not a good general manager. I don't want anyone to mistake that. But that was a relationship that was pretty good when he was in Chicago. I will go all in on Phil Emery. David, don't you also have a good story uh, about Phil Emery as a bouncer? Isn't there something in your background where you had a good story about Phil Emery as a bar bouncer? That's right. He I was a bouncer in Detroit. And didn't right? he get shots? And, and like in state. I think you're right. That's a great story. <laughs> See, Phil would be the guy that you want in the locker room telling those stories because he has had tremendous life experiences. Yes, he was a bouncer. I, I think there were there was gunfire. I don't know if he was hit, but he's also a guy that lifts a lot. I like to work out. So Phil Emery is my third choice in the ex-Bear Falcon draft. Studs, you're up. All right. I was going to give you one last Phil Emery footnote, which is that he uh, used to send 17,000 word emails to reporters often. I still have several of them in my <laughs> files, Dad. And then this is a tremendous reading when I'm having insomnia. All right. <laughs> All right. By the way, Nicole Pruitt did have one catch for six yards in the in his th- two years, st- three year stint with the Bears. So there well, you go. All right. I uh, I guess I guess I'll I'll take the remaining executive and I'll take Ryan Pace. And I'll thank him for for drafting Justin Fields, and then I'll fire him. <laughs> like the Bears did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. See, you exactly guys didn't it. think this was going to be this much fun. It's great. Oh, I know. It's great. All right, you're I, up, now, I'm in scramble mode because I was going to take Pace next, and now I've got to scramble a little bit. And I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Eddie Goldman, even though it's going to be hard to find him. Uh, Matt Nagy had a lot of difficult time getting a hold of him via via text or phone or wherever else, and then Eddie took the year off during COVID and then came back and kind of took the year off again. And, about finding them. You got to motivate them. Yeah, that's right. I got it. But I, I look, I've got, I've got rags and CP oh, to help me motivate right. him. Okay. So let's go. So Eddie Goldman's my choice. I'm taking Damian Williams. I'm taking Damian Williams. Cause I need a running back that is there. And I, I like the, he, he kind of like on the all airport team, he looks the part. He's going to make people think that he's good, that we have a good dual threat in our backfield. And then he's going to get injured. So I think I, everyone needs a player like that on the roster. Damian Williams for me. Running out of guys now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's getting real getting there, tight. Getting there. So I, right. I, I'll, I'm going to go of the remaining guys who I, who I actually <laughs> recognize, and that's going to be Elijah Wilkinson, and keep filling out my deep, filling out my. Uh, I got, I got no skill players, so I'm going to keep oh, going with lu- that. Trend. Good luck protecting the passer with that guy. The, yeah, the benefit yeah. of being on the beat for 10 years is that I can give you the footnote that Elijah Wilkinson was unvaccinated when the COVID protocol started and wound up twice on the reserve COVID-19 list just as a close contact. Didn't even have a COVID, but this was on a co- close contact and was, you know, at that point you were out for two weeks at that point. And so poor Elijah was out for a couple spans of, uh, of two weeks. All right, Dan, you're up. (laughs) Uh, Charles London, who was the running backs coach here and is now the quarterbacks coach in Atlanta. So now I've got two quarterbacks coaches to help me. Uh, And so, yeah, welcome aboard, Charles. (laughs) All right, since you're the king of trivia, when did Abdullah Anderson play for the Bears? Uh, recently, <laughs> was it that recently? Yeah, uh, he was a Bigs guy. Bigs loved a little Abdullah Anderson in the locker room. Oh, I'm going to talk to Abdullah today, uh, and he would get around to Abdullah. It was uh, sometime in the Nagy era for sure. Okay, well, yeah, I, will, I, just... I will leave him. I, w- I will definitely leave him for somebody else then, because I will take uh, Michael Petrie. He he's a running backs coach. <laughs> I need somebody to coach my running back, so I will take him. Nice. So just a couple guys left. Just... Just, just so you guys know, 
Abdul Anderson was here for the 2019 season, and that was it. All right. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. You, you got take you, you, Just take him, Stubbs. Just take him. That's all you got him. <laughs> yeah, I'll take him. <laughs> yeah, he's mine. Right. Yeah, that, that leads you one guy, Dan. Mr. Irrelevant is Jalen Dalton. And so here, here's my Jalen Dalton story from earlier in training camp. There was a fight that broke out in Falcons camp. And I was like, I got to go see if it's uh, any former Bears. And I believe it was Jalen Dalton against uh, Jermaine Effetti. And I said, oh, my God, it's two former Bears. <laughs> Come to remember that Jalen Dalton was actually involved in a, a August fight here at Hallis Hall, one that was very high profile in a night practice here at Hallis Hall where Kyle Long was thrown out of practice because he took his helmet off and was swinging it <laughs> at Jalen Dalton. And it was it was one of the crazier moments in the Kyle Long saga here. And so I'm like, man, like Jalen Dalton's getting into it here. He's getting into it down there. So I get him to be my enforcer. Well, that is the last pick of the X-Bear draft, and you're not going to get trivia like that on any other podcast. I guarantee you that. That was so awesome. here we are. Ten former Bears, five former Bears assistant coaches, two former Bears <laughs> general managers. That's a total of 17 former Bears on the Falcons payroll. I think I had the best draft. I got my Phil Emery. I'm ready to build a winner. I'm not even going to the Bears locker room on Sunday night. I'm just going to Atlanta for a reunion tour. That'd be great. All right. Let's wrap things up with our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. All right, Dan, we don't want to dilly-dally too long because we've got a lot of different things. Just take take uh, our listeners um, into the locker room, up to date. Number one, Treston Ebner gets an opportunity this week with Khalil Herbert out. And any other injury news of uh, relevance? Well, Cole Komet still dealing with a thigh issue, and, and he was back at practice as a limited participant on Thursday, still kind of struggling a little bit after taking that incidental contact hit late in that game against the Lions. So that's worth tracking because Cole's been on a, on a high upward arc. Ebner, they're very excited about what he can do in an expanded role here. Uh, two quick notes on Tristan Ebner. David Walker, the running backs coach, really feels like he's got an opportunity. There's going to be three or four moments on Sunday against the Falcons where Ebner's got a chance to, to make a big play. So so keep your eyes open for that. I would also say that Tristan Ebner was very candid in the locker room on Wednesday and telling us that the knock on him coming out of college was that he couldn't pass protect. And he said, yeah, I'll give them that. My, my pass protection technique was really bad. I'm not very good at, at protecting uh, technique wise, but I never allowed a sack. So deal with that, you know? And so, so we're going to have to keep an eye on how he handles pass pro at this level uh, with some, uh, as David Walker said, I would agree with him in terms of his own self-criticism of his pass pro <laughs> technique. Ooh, that's something to look forward to. Okay, I'm looking at the cornerback position. Kyler Gordon uh, was a little banged up. Kendall Vildor back at practice. You wonder about those two guys. They will be tested. And, of course, I hope Jalen Johnson can play the game. Yeah. It's not pain-free, injury-free, and plays uh, every snap for the Bears secondary. No question about it. The other thing I would say is let's keep an eye on this Bears pass rush, David. Be right now, your sack leaders for the 2022 Chicago Bears are an undrafted rookie linebacker in uh, Jack Sanborn, a rookie safety in Jaquan Brisker, and a guy who plays for the Ravens now in Roquan Smith. At some point, you got to get someone in your front four to put the quarterback on the ground. All right, let's wrap things up. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us on the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. My only other little bit of advice, do yourself a favor, sports fans. Go to chicagotribune.com. Find Dan Weider's story on John Shire, the local guy made good, the Duke head coach. It is a tremendous read. You want to sit down and have some time. Dan did a great job of going down to Durham, spending time with the family, 
Dan, that was a terrific story. Well done. David, thank you for saying that. It was fun to work on. I, I go back with John a long ways. It was really cool to tell his story and to see his his journey begin as Coach K's successor with the level of fearlessness and sort of eagerness that he takes into that. That was really cool. I'm going to tease one other thing that you can find at chicagotribune.com. Much less reporting involved in this one, but because of the conversations we've been having, some of them right here on this podcast over the last few weeks, I've given Bears fans a choose-your-own-adventure of how to process Justin Fields' fever and what huddle they want to get into to surround themselves with like-minded people that are seeing this 2022 Bears season through the same lens, you're going to have a chance to wind up in six different huddles, right? And you just go through it, figure it out, and see where you wind up. It should be a fun little exercise. That is a lot of fun. That's a great story idea. I look forward to checking that out because I haven't yet. I know that we'll be probably in the same huddle and everybody will be looking at us, pointing us like, look, at those are the guys. Those those are the guys. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, We will be back Sunday night uh, with our reaction to Bears and Falcons from Atlanta. Please join us on the Take the North podcast Sunday night for our instant analysis of what you see. The Bears 3-7 and go into Georgia to beat the Falcons. We'll see what happens next. Thank you for joining the Take the North pod. Talk to you Sunday night. Great talk. See you out there.